0: It really is a privilege to be here with you guys today. Before I get started with the message, just, uh, just a couple of words of encouragement. First of all, um, you heard before about that discipleship summit that's happening in May. If you only do one thing in May, other than come here on a, on a Sunday morning and, and meet with your small group, I'd really encourage you to consider being at that discipleship summit. Because we as a church are kind of rolling up our sleeves and saying, how can we actually put a lot more feet to our efforts? to help people be more like Jesus? What, what does that look like to be disciples that make disciples? And so uh, we'd love for you all to be there and be a part of that. Uh, The other thing I just want to say is just another word of encouragement for what you guys are doing here at Trinity South Naperville. Um, I'm doing something right now as our senior pastor, which gives me a chance to meet with a lot of leaders and kind of influential people in our church face-to-face and kind of share what God is doing. And I could tell you the thing that they are most excited about that God is doing through our body of believers right now is what's happening here and at uh, at our Galewood location in the city. The fact that God is encouraging us to reach out and start these new sites and, and, and the good news we hear about what God is doing in and through you all, uh, we're just thrilled. So uh, be encouraged. Uh, you are loved and you are, you are cared for, and uh, we are so glad uh, that you are here. So uh, with that in mind, let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, I pray that the words I'm about to speak this morning and the thoughts that we think as we, as we meditate on your word and, Lord, as we deal with this very difficult subject of suffering... Uh, Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our Redeemer, who is the source of comfort and hope and strength in our lives. Amen. So, uh, as you've heard, we started a couple weeks ago on Easter this series that we're calling Foolish Things That Christians Believe. And and we kind of had to do it, right, because Easter was April Fool's Day, right? So a perfect day uh, for us to think about the fact that there are a lot of things that we believe as Christians, like people can rise from the dead, right, that the world would consider foolish. And because Jesus rose from the dead, what that means for us is our death is not final. And again, a lot of people think that's foolish. They think when you're dead, you're dead. But we say no. You know, Jesus is that proof, you know, uh, that, that we can and we will rise from the dead. And, and that's foolishness to the world, but it's at the heart of our faith. And, and then last week we talked about this idea that our past isn't fatal, you know, a lot of times we think that once we get that black mark in our past, uh, there's nothing we can ever do to overcome it. But, but God teaches us that forgiveness is possible for us and that our past is actually gone. God actually forgets our sins. And, uh, and, and that, again, seems foolishness to the world around us, but again, it's at the heart of our faith. And today, we want to talk about another one of those foolish things. But, but before we get to it, um, I want to tell you a story. Now, this is a picture of my college graduation, all right? Now, you got to promise to ignore the goofy mustache, all right? But, uh, uh, but that's my mom and my dad. And uh, uh, my mom passed away just a little over a year ago. It was really kind of weird at Easter. Maybe you've experienced something like this when someone you love has died. Um, uh, my wife and I were counting up. We hosted Easter dinner this year, and we were counting up who was coming. And I almost said, is my mom coming? And, and then, I oh, wait, no, she's in heaven, right? You know, it's just that kind of habit. Uh, so she just passed away recently. But my dad, my dad died a long time ago. Uh, he died actually in 1986, and the reason I, I've got this uh, picture up there is, um, is to tell you a little bit about my dad's story. And this picture is the last picture I have of my dad when he was still healthy. At least he looked still healthy. We thought he was still happy, healthy. The, you know, he he ended up having cancer, and it, it was about a year after this that he was diagnosed with that cancer, started in a kidney, um, and eventually spread to his bones. And uh, six years after this picture was taken, he was he was gone. He was dead. And, and five of those years, I got to tell you, were horrible. Uh, they were just horrible. Uh, the first two were not so bad as as his cancer first got diagnosed, and and, and he went through surgery to remove the the kidney that had the cancer in it. But, but then they discovered that the cancer had spread into his bones. And so he went through some radiation and chemotherapy. And remember, this was back in the 80s. So, so technology wasn't nearly where it is right now. And, and so he was sick all the time and he lost his hair and all that kind of stuff. And then, and then after about two years into the process, the cancer that had spread into his bones kind of settled in his spine and, uh, and he was paralyzed from the waist on down. Um, had no feeling, no movement, and, and for the for the last three years of his life, that was the case, and uh, so my mom kind of became his nurse, his constant. Caregiver, and uh, he, he lived in a hospital bed in our family room of uh, the house where we grew up. And, uh, and, and because of the cancer in his bones that was very painful, every day he had to kind of make a decision um, Am I going to take the painkillers today so I get through the day without pain? But knowing that when I take those, I sleep a lot and I can't really talk to people, I'm very confused, or, or, or am I going to deal with the pain? so I can talk to people, so I, can, so I can function. And he had to face that challenge every day of his life. And i got to tell you again, it, it was a horrible time. Just a horrible time in his life. And, and so when we look back on something like that, we have questions, don't we? Especially those of us who are believers. My dad was a faithful believer. From little on, he taught me about a God that loved us dearly, and he just set an incredible example for me as a man of faith. And and so you have questions, and and, and some of those questions, honestly, are fairly easy to answer. You have questions like, well, why does cancer exist? Well, that one has an easy answer. Clearly, God's Word teaches us that cancer exists because we live in a broken world. God created this universe to be perfect, and and there is no such thing as cancer in, in God's universe that he created. There's no such thing as pain or suffering or struggle, but but this creation isn't what God created it to be. It's a, we call it a fallen creation. It's, it falls short of the glory of God. And, and God's promise is someday he's gonna fix that, by the way. Someday Jesus is gonna come in, come again, and there won't be cancer anymore, and there won't be suffering anymore, and there won't be death anymore. That's his promise. But, but right now, we know why there's cancer. It's because we live in a broken world. Another question that's easy to answer is, did God give my dad cancer? And the answer to that is no. Clearly, what God's word teaches God is not the author of pain and suffering and sickness and struggle and death. God doesn't cause that stuff. And so so we know for sure that when we are suffering, when we see someone we love suffer, that that we, we can't blame God for that. God doesn't cause that stuff to happen. So some of the questions have fairly easy answers, but there's other questions, aren't there? Questions like, well, I know why cancer exists, but why didn't my dad get cancer? I mean, he didn't smoke, or he didn't, you know, he didn't do anything that, 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 that would have led to it. You know? so, so why him? Or, or, or once he got cancer, why didn't God heal him? There were a lot of people in his church. I, I, in fact, one time I remember I stopped by the house, and I walked into the family room, and there was a whole group of people from his church around him and laid hands on him, and they were praying that God was going to heal him. And, and they knew was God was going to heal him, and God didn't. So why didn't he? And so, so was that somehow God's will for my dad's life, that he would die at 54 years old and, and never get to see his grandchildren and, and, uh, and, and never get to see uh, a lot of the stuff that, that we've got to see and experience? It, it, was that God's will for my dad's life somehow? Or, or why does God let bad things happen at all? You know, Tony, you said before, you thought when you became a Christian, it meant it's going to be easy now, right? I know God, but... It's not the case. So why does God let bad things happen to people that follow him and people that love him? And folks, here's here's the thing. There are no answers to these questions. There aren't. At least not now. Not this side of heaven. Not in this life. When we read God's word, the answer to these questions just aren't there. And in fact, God tells us that we're not going to get answers to these questions. Um, I, this verse in Isaiah, God says this. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. So when we say things like, well, I don't understand why God would do that. He says, well, yeah, because you're not me. He says this, as, high, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He, he also says this. He says, he, God says, my foolishness, Is Wiser than the wisest thing you could ever think of in other words God says I am so much bigger than you I'm so much beyond you that that the smartest thought you think is like stupid day for me, right? now Now first of all, I'm kind of comforted by that because honestly, I don't want a God That is small enough that I can understand everything about him right because then he's not much of a God Heck, I don't even understand everything about my wife, much less God, right? I, I, I don't want a God that is, that is just so, so small that I can get my brain around him. I want a God that is big and huge and immense and beyond my understanding and more powerful than I could ever imagine. You know, somebody told me a story once that has kind of helped me when I think about these unanswerable questions. Uh, there's a, a museum apparently in London where, when you walk into the first floor of the museum in the entryway, you look up. There's a glass ceiling, and and on top of that glass ceiling, uh, the floor then would be the second floor. Uh, it looks like a sewing machine threw up. I mean, it's just all these different colored threads going in all these different directions, and and it just looks like chaos. It just looks like just just like there's no rhyme or reason or sense. To why those threads are there at all. But you get up to the second floor and you see the other side of it, and it's this, this beautiful Elizabethan tapestry. And, uh, and, and the person that, that told me this story said that helps them because what they think is from our perspective sometimes, when we're trying to answer some of these unanswerable questions about suffering, they take comfort in knowing from our perspective it doesn't make sense why my dad got cancer at at such a young age, and and that doesn't make any sense. It just looks random and stupid to me, but from God's perspective, somehow it all fits together into this beautiful tapestry. And here's the cool thing. Someday we're going to get to see God's perspective, right? Someday it will all make sense to us. Someday we will see it that way. And, uh, and by the way, uh, the, the proof of all that, the proof that God knows what he's talking about, it, it comes right down to the cross, doesn't it? And that's another thing I say to people sometimes when they say to me, they say, Mark, I just don't get it. I don't understand why God would do this. It just doesn't seem that God loves me. I say, well, you know what? You gotta go stand at the cross. Because when I'm confused like that and when I'm troubled like that, I stand at the cross and I look at what Jesus did for me there and I say, if he would do that for me, then I know I can trust him. I I know that I can trust him when I got questions that just don't seem like they're good answers to. Now, I understand that if you are in the middle of suffering right now, uh, this sermon isn't going to be all that helpful. I, I, I mean, seriously, I get that. You know, when I think back to those years in my dad's life, we weren't asking questions like, why does God allow suffering, and what does the Bible have to say about this? We were just trying to get through each day, right? And, uh, and in fact, we had another really difficult thing happen in our lives, Betty and I, um, when our son Christian was born, and, and you get, he's 22 years old and six foot six, he's healthy as a horse now, but, but when he was born, the first week of his life, he was very, very ill and not expected to survive. I mean, basically every day when we left the neonatal intensive care, they told us to say goodbye because they weren't sure he'd still be alive when we came back. It, it was just a, a horrible time. Um, and, and, uh, and I remember in the middle of that time, we were sitting by his bedside one day, and there was a, a, an intern chaplain um, from the hospital who was sitting there with us. And at one point, she turned and looked at me, and she said, now you're a pastor, right? I said, yeah. And she said, I bet you're getting a lot of good sermon illustrations out of this. Yeah. Talk about dumb, right? But you know what? She was right. I mean, seriously, when I look back at that time, I did get a lot of good sermon illustrations out of that time. But in that moment, at that time, that was not what I needed to hear, right? And I was not able to process that. Go, oh, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, that's probably going to happen. No, instead I looked at her, and I, and I didn't say it, but I wanted to say, are you an idiot? So, so I recognize, folks, that if you are in the middle of suffering right now, A sermon that talks about the theology behind suffering is going to be hard, and it's not going to be all that helpful, and I get it. Um, But there's one promise I can make to you, and that is this that God promises He is with you. Of all the promises of God, the one that you need to cling to right now, if you're in the middle of a difficult time in your life, is this promise. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He says, I'm with you always. I don't know what you're going through, but whatever it is you're going through, know that God has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. He loves you, and he is with you. And here's the other side of that promise. We're with you too. You have a church family that loves you. And, uh, you know, one of the great things about a, a new start like Trinity South Naperville is that there's a real family feel, isn't there, that sometimes gets lost the bigger you get. And uh, that doesn't mean we, we don't want to keep growing and keep wanting to reach new people with the love of Jesus. But, but, but enjoy that. Relish in that family feel that you have and know that whatever you're going through, people are going to be there for you. We're there for you. We're your family. So, but what about for the, for the rest of us that, that maybe have a chance to kind of look back on suffering? Or or, I want to think a little bit more about about the role of suffering in our lives. See, there's this amazing thing that happens when you look back at suffering. Let me give you one example of that. Um, It was a number of years after my dad had died. And uh, I was talking with my mom. I don't even remember the occasion, but it was just her and I, and we were talking. And I don't know what brought me to say this, but I looked at my mom and I said, "Mom, those 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 three years of your life when Dad was paralyzed and in that, and you became his nurse and his caregiver, and you had to do stuff for him for him that, you know, just kind of creeps me out a little bit when I hear about it. You know, I said those had to be the hardest years of your marriage." And she smiled and she said, "They were the best years of our marriage." And I was I was like, "What?" How is that even possible? And she said, I don't know, but I just know when I look back, those three years were the best years of our marriage. We, we got closer during that time than we ever were before. Oh, that's kind of foolish, right? I mean, from a worldly perspective, that seems pretty foolish, that, that, that something like that would actually be good. Let me give you another example of that. Um, about a year after my dad died, the. The goal was to keep him home till he died, but the last month we just couldn't. It was just too much for my mom, and so he had to go to a hospice facility for that last month, and, uh, and he understood, and, and it was the right decision to make, but it was hard. It was really hard. My, my mom cried about it a lot, because she had promised him she was gonna let him die at home, and it just, it just didn't work. Um, But about a year later, my mom decided she had healed enough that she wanted to go volunteer back at that hospice facility because they were just wonderful to us there. And so she wanted to go volunteer. She's volunteering there, and she meets one of the nurses, and the nurse says, I remember you. You and your husband are the reason I'm back at church. And she's like, what? And she said, the the faith that I saw in you and your husband and your family and the prayers— it made me hungry for God again. And even though I grew up in the church, I had gotten very far away from God, and, and so I started going to church again, and I'm going to church because of you and your family. There's something that happens in suffering that seems foolish to the rest of the world, but when we look back on it, we see that there's actually, God is somehow using that suffering in our lives in some amazing ways. And, and, and here's the promise It's a pretty simple one. You probably have heard it before. It's in Romans 8.28, and there God says this. It says, we know that in everything, God works for the good of those who love him. Now, just think about that for a minute. We know that every, in everything, in good times and in times of suffering and pain, God promises he will work for good in the lives of those that love him. So, Tony, it isn't worthless that you believe in God, right? That, that faith that you have in God, that faith that we share in God, God makes a promise to us that if we're a part of his family, he can take even suffering and make good come of it in our lives. Now, sometimes we see it, like my mom being able to look back and say, those are the best years of our marriage. Or you know, that story about that nurse there at the hospice center that, that who knows where she'd be spiritually right now if it hadn't been for that suffering in my dad's life. Now, now, by the way, think what would have happened if my mom had never decided to volunteer there. She never would have known that story. And she always would have wondered, you know, did God, how did God make something good come out of that? Well, he did and she never would have known it. See, sometimes we get to see the good and other times we don't. There's one aspect of it that we don't see at all. You realize, don't you, that we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. I, I love this verse. This is in Hebrews 13, two, and It's not really about suffering, but it, but it, it makes a point for me. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews says this. He says, remember to welcome strangers, because some who have done this have welcomed angels without knowing it. Wait, wait huh? <laughs> That's kind of crazy, isn't it? God says, you know, make sure that you're welcome to strangers, because some of them are angels, and you don't even know it. I'm kind of going, seriously? But, but it's a reminder that there's this spiritual realm around us that we don't see, but it's real. And of course, if you read the book of Job, that's what it was about for Job. Remember, Job is this story of some amazing suffering that went on in the life of this one follower of Jesus, this guy named Job. And, uh, um, and, and we're told in the very first chapter that one day the angels were coming to show themselves to the Lord. I, that's got to be a kind of cool, amazing thing, right? And Satan is among them. And God says to Satan, what are you doing? And Satan kind of tells him. And then God says this to Satan. He says, have you noticed my servant Job? He, he's, he's using Job as an example of what God's love can do in someone's life. And Satan says, well, the only reason Job loves you is because you've, you've taken good care of him. But let him suffer, and he won't love you anymore. And God says, well, I, I disagree. That's not what love is all about. And so God lets Satan bring some suffering into Job's life. And the whole time, Job and his friends are trying to make sense of that suffering, and they miss the big answer, which is, there's something bigger going on here. Do you ever think about the fact that sometimes when we suffer, and when we suffer with 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 love and joy and dignity that the world thinks is foolish, the angels are just sitting there in amazement at what God is doing through our lives. Sometimes we see how God uses suffering for good, other times we don't, but we always trust that that's His promise. God has given us another promise about suffering. And it's this one. He says, He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. There's another passage in the book of... um, uh, uh, This is actually Romans, not Isaiah. I forgot to change the reference on the bottom. This is actually uh, in Romans chapter 5. He says this, We can also have joy in our troubles because we know that these troubles produce patience, and patience produces character, and character produces hope, and this hope will never disappoint us because God has poured out his love to fill our hearts. Uh, let me ask you this. When you, when you look back on things in your life, they probably fit on one or two sides of this, right? You know, it, we, we call this kind of a dualism, right, that, that things are either right or wrong, they're either good or bad, uh, they're either winning or losing, they're either successful or they're a failure, they're either joyful or they're full of despair. And, and, and by the way, it's good for us to think this way. It's especially good, by the way, parents, to help our kids see life this way. We need to help kids understand there is such a thing as right and wrong in the world around us. There is good and there is evil. Um, but as you look back at the experiences in your life, and you think about things that were good, and right, and winning, and successful, and full of joy, and you think about things that were bad, or wrong, or where, where you lost, where you felt like a failure, where, where you were tempted to despair, let me ask you this, when you think of the, maybe the two or three most influential moments in your life, which side of that were they on? probably that one, right? I mean, when you think about the the, the kind of the most influential times, the times that shaped you the most, the times that made you to be the person that you are today, most of us, when we look back at our past, what we're actually talking about are moments of pain and struggle and suffering that, that we came through. And we learned a lot about ourselves or we learned a lot about God or we learned a lot about our family. We learned a lot about life in those moments of pain and in those moments of struggle. Think about it this way. For my mom, who spent those five years going through an awful time with my dad, I know that there have been times when there's a widow in the congregation who's just lost her husband, and my mom knows what she feels like better than anybody else in that room. And, and, and she can use her experience... And out of that, that pain in her life can flow that comfort and that hope, that, that character that God worked in her during that time. It flows through her to that person. You know, I mentioned that time that Betty and I spent uh, going to the neonatal intensive care every day, not knowing whether our son was going to survive or not. Um, we kind of know about that on our pastoral team. And when, when the word is out there that, that somebody's baby's in the NICU, um, a lot of times they'll call and say, hey, Pastor Mark knows what you're going through. He's been there. Do you mind if he comes by and visited? Because I get it. I know exactly what they're feeling like. It's an amazing uh, promise that God makes to us that, that one of the ways he can use our suffering is he can take our suffering and he can use it to mold and shape us to be more useful in his hands to make a difference in the lives of others when they go through that struggle. You know, back to my dad's story for a minute. When my dad went through all that, I was teaching. I was teaching junior high in a Lutheran school. I loved it. I was coaching basketball, just having the time of my life. And honestly, I would have gladly just kept teaching and coaching my whole ministry, my whole career. I loved doing it. But, but one of the things that God showed me during that time with my dad was that there are bigger issues than making sure that you know your multiplication tables. And as much fun as I had in, in helping kids know what the eight parts of speech were and be able to recognize the difference between an adverb and an adjective, I loved seeing the light go on when that made sense to them. I loved even more helping people have the light go on when they dealt with issues like, can God actually use suffering in my life, right? I mean, I'm convinced I would not be a pastor. I would not be here today if we hadn't, as a family, gone through what we went through with my dad. Now, now, does that mean my dad, dad or God killed my dad so I'd be a pastor? Absolutely not. That wasn't God's will for my dad's life. But but we do know that God used that tragedy in our family to shape me in a way that wouldn't have happened otherwise. And that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, there might be people who would be tempted to say, uh, you Christians, you're just rationalizing, right? You're, you, you're, you're just trying to, you're using your faith to try to bring a comfort in the midst of struggle and suffering, and, uh, and that's fine if it works for you, but, but that's not real. But there's one thing that stands in the face of that. I want you to think about the greatest moment of suffering human beings have ever seen. I mean, we talked about it a little bit before, right? It's Jesus on that cross, it, 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 on that cross, he went through suffering that we can never imagine or comprehend. I, I imagine at the moment where they were driving those nails through his hands, Satan was sitting back and cheering because he thought he had won. But we know the rest of the story, right? He, he didn't win. And in fact, it was, it was through that suffering of Jesus that our sins are forgiven, that, that our relationship with our God who created us is restored. The moment of the greatest suffering any human being has ever gone through is also the moment the Son of God gave his life to conquer sin and death for us. And the proof was that Easter morning, when his death wasn't final, when he rose from the dead, so we can take comfort, even in the midst of our suffering, that, that, that God can actually use suffering for good in our lives. That, that he is with us and, and he is going to take care of us. He's going to carry us through that difficult time, even if it just feels like we can barely get through the next moment. And then on the other side, He is going to use that to mold and shape us. He's going to bring good out of that suffering in our lives. Some ways we see, some ways we may never see. But he can actually use that suffering to make us the people that we are. Isn't that amazing? Let's pray about that right now. Lord, thank you. I can't believe I'm praying this, but thank you for suffering. Thank you for pain and struggle in our lives. First of all, Lord, we know that someday you are going to conquer that, and we are going to be in heaven with you, and there will be no more crying and no more tears and no more suffering and no more cancer and no more broken relationships and, and no more um, joblessness and, 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 and no more whatever it is, Lord, that causes us suffering or struggle in this life. And we look forward to that day with joy. But, Lord, we also you, thank you that, that your promise is in the middle of our suffering. You will not leave us or forsake us, that you are with us, and uh, and that you send others to be with us too. That you send uh, friends and family, the family of God, to gather around us and help us. And Lord, thank you that you've also promised us that in in an amazing way that seems foolish to the world, you can actually use suffering for good, that we can embrace suffering because through that suffering, you're going to to produce character and perseverance and hope in our lives. And not only hope for us, but hope for others as you can use us powerfully in their lives too. Thank you for that gift, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.